and welcome. It's Friday, January the 8th, 2021. It's all uh, numbers and words that are hard to get my mind wrapped around. It's still, uh, I think, in 2020. But thanks, everyone, for joining. Brent and I are back at it. We've been doing a little bit of thinking and planning, preparing for this episode. A lot to cover, a new year, and a lot of new questions. So, Brent, I'm going to kick this off, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the ending stock situation. You know, there's tight U.S. ending stocks, and that's been a, a big story. We wrote about that on the blog this week. But on AEI Premium, we also took a look at global stocks. And this is corn, wheat, soybeans. Take a look at that article. It quickly shows you how changing a little bit of a little different perspective gives you different data. So the first one I looked at was just total stocks over a long period of time. And that's one story. But it really heats up uh, for all those commodities if you take China out, and the idea here is, you know, China's a net buyer, and they account for a huge amount of the share of stocks. So for perspective, two thirds of the corn stocks in the globe reside in China, 50% of the wheat, and about uh, almost a third of the soybeans. So when you take out all of those stocks from the world and just look at what's available for trade, so the world less China, we're starting to get in a lot tighter situation, especially for soybeans. Wheat's been sort of treading water sideways. Corn's been tightening. And the big takeaway here, as I hope that people think about, is it's a tight U.S. situation, but it's also a tight um, global story. And I think that's really what's fueling a lot of this enthusiasm. I think the other thing to capture here, and I didn't really include in the article, was we're kind of late to the game because of the trade war, right? The soybean situation has been tightening in the last couple of years, but we were sort of sidelined by the trade war. And so now the U.S. is starting to feel this. And the tight U.S. situation and the global situation just came to the forefront in our discussion. So a lot of moving pieces with global stocks, a lot of bullish narratives that can be told with these charts. So just want the readers to have a lot of perspectives here so they can think about it in a lot of different ways. But China is a big part of this. It's so interesting. Just me sitting here listening to you talk about this. I think if we really step back and reflect on the last few years, that trade war with China, I think even in the middle, of, when it first started, we knew it was having a huge impact. Uh, but that really distorted markets for two years. The Chinese basically didn't buy any soybeans from us for, for two years. Now the, that's kind of coming home to roost to some extent that they have to. And it kind of like put stocks to use in kind of a fog, I think, over that time period. And I think it's one of those things we're still trying to get our heads wrapped around just how distorted markets got during the middle of that trade war. Yeah, because we were sort of drowning in stocks, but there was sort of this allocate, the trade war, distorting is the right word, right? Because there was this global story, but we were not really average, right? The distortion was average. On average, stocks were tightening, but they were really building in the US. And Brazil had the other side of the story. They were running out. And now the trade war fog is lifted. And, and we're all of a sudden going, like, hey, how do we go from 23% stocks to use on soybeans two years ago to now uh, the second lowest in at least 20 years and among the lowest in all of history? So how did that happen? Well, the fog of the trade war really distorted that a lot. So yeah, I mean, when you start changing those trade patterns especially for the commodity like soybeans which so much of it is global trade i mean it has impacts that are hard to sort out in the short term and we're seeing that now 
Brent, shifting gears a little bit, you wrote a few articles about farmland values, and I think that's going to be the big conversation piece <laughs> in the farm economy for 2021. So what, what's on your mind? What have you been thinking about? And what I've been telling people for a while now is that the farm economy has a lot of stimulus <laughs> right now between those huge government farm program payments to the higher commodity prices, it's creating, putting a huge amount of stimulus into the farm sector. And one thing that when we go back and look at farmland values, one of the things that's happened is that for the past five years, they've been pretty flat. In fact, you know, we saw Indiana values decline over that time period. So land values were basically flat as well as cash rents took a step down and kind of stayed at that level. And uh, it looks to me like if you look at cash rent per bushel of corn, this is an interesting metric, you know, we peaked at 2012 and then it fell where cash rents were higher than fell down and kind of stayed flat. But all that time, you know, productivity is increasing. So it's, it's kept rent per bushel kind of low. And I know if you're a farmer, it doesn't feel low, but I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on cash rents to go up this year. And I think there's going to be a lot of upward pressure on farmland values. And the other thing that is supporting those farmland values is that capitalization rate, which is that last chart in that article. And farmland in blue trading at a 3% cap rate seems really low until you look at the 10-year U.S. Treasury at 1% today and you go, well, that's a pretty big premium. I mean, if you just look at it over time, we've usually been close to par with those. And so in order to get that down, you'd have to increase farmland prices quite a bit or interest rates are going to have to come up maybe some combination of both is the most likely outcome. I just think, you know, the data and the analysis would suggest you're going to see higher farmland prices and higher cash rents uh, in 2020. And that's basically what we, we said in that article. And then did another article looking a slightly different kind of data. This is aggregate data. And this pretty clearly shows kind of the stall in farmland values starting about 2014, which makes sense. You know, times were not very good in agriculture during that time period. And now, I mean, you start looking at valuation metrics relative to gross sales or net farm income, you start to see some opportunity, I think, for those values to go up. So this isn't just, you know, this is kind of us taking a look at what what do the data say? And I think the data are telling us right now that farmland prices, cash rents are probably going to go up it doesn't come without risk for sure. And and I'm not telling people that they're cheap or go buy it now because it's going up. I'd say there, there's going to be risk associated with it because you're buying it super low capitalization rates. So if interest rates were to go up significantly, it, it would kind of put the whole thing back in flux. But right now, before we had interest rates going lower, which is supportive of farmland values and incomes were flat to down. We've got interest rates low, incomes going up, I think you're going to see higher prices. And it's not just 2020 income, right? It's the budgets in 2021 are looking positive too. So there's some depth here to this income story and or this feeling of an income story. So it's it's a little different. You know, we were sort of getting by with these ad hoc payments. We had a lot of ad hoc, but we sort of got off at another year of 
record high ad hoc payments and record high income for the last few years. And now the budgets still look pretty darn good. The best budgets we've seen. The thing, Brent, that I wanted to wrap this up with was we closed the ag forecast. We closed several ag forecast network questions uh, over the beginning of the year, mostly because things timed out and they did not occur. Two of the questions that we had on our on the macro economy was the Fed funds rate. And I'm showing it here for those watching on the video. One this question is 10-year treasury. I'm sorry, the 10-year treasury. I was thinking about the new question. We have a new question on the Fed funds rate. This is the 10-year treasury. And we had two questions. Will it fall below half a percentage point? Or on the other question was, will it get above 2%? So this idea of are interest rates going to go really low or are they going to go up in light of all the stimulus and the economic slowdown and all that was going on? We hit neither of those. We got really close to that half a percentage point, but we were about 1.5% at the beginning of the recession. We fell to 0.5 and now we're up at 1. And that's a pretty big change in this 10-year treasury rate. You know, it's only 50 basis points, but it's also double. And this is the challenge when we're at these really low rates is that a 50 basis point or even 10 basis points is a large relative movement. Those interest rates have kind of been sneaking up. They're still really, really low. So I think still lots of opportunity, but they, they are sneaking up on us and it's something to watch. Going to be really interesting now. There's just lots of debate right now as to what what's going to happen. You're going to see lots of narratives in the press about, well, you know, now we're going to get all the stimulus because Democrats run all three levers of government. We're going to have lots of stimulus, and maybe interest rates are going to go up. Maybe the Fed will let them go up. And in the Fed minutes, they talked a little bit about maybe we'll start the taper again. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I don't think anybody knows right now. It just always reminds me of that cartoon. You know, what was good for the market yesterday is bad for today or vice versa. And there's just a lot of narratives. I think we need to think deeper about it and really carefully think through what all the implications are going to be because I, I don't know anybody knows right now. Well, it reminds me of a cartoon I saw this week, which was the fork came it came up to the fork in the road and the sign says, simple answer, but but wrong. And it pointed an arrow and it had this big line of people there falling <laughs> off the edge of the cliff. And it said the hard answer, but right. And it's this big, wide, narrowing path. And I think that's a lot of what we're, we're just hearing a lot of narratives and a lot of people quick to explain what's going to happen in the macro economy in 280 characters on Twitter. And it's right. way more complicated than that. And so we have to be very careful and I guess be, don't be, don't build your business and marketing plans around 280 characters of summarization of a complex situation. Right. Watch the data, think about it carefully and, and keep an eye on things. Just don't go into autopilot and say, oh, the stimulus is going to cause this, this, and that. So this is a uncharted territory for a lot of us. And that's an overused phrase in, in this day and age, but it's how we need to go about making our decisions. I mean, that's really good advice. And when you when you look at just like those interest rates, you look, well, they're, they're sneaking up. But for most of us, they remain at levels that are amongst the lowest we've ever seen. If you have exposure to that, it's something to be thinking about, right? And uh, in the big picture, they're still very, very low. Don't overanalyze yourself into trying to find the very best, lowest. That may not be your best solution for your business. Think think it through what it means to your business. Don't get caught up in the overthinking the narratives that everybody's going to be pushing out. 
Well, Brent, thanks for joining. Thanks to everyone listening for joining. A lot of new questions coming up. We're going to start our question on acreage for the 2021. <laughs> this is an interesting debate, and we'll wrap up. So, Brent, we're looking at 91 million acres for the line. The question will get posted on Monday. So we might still move this around because we're still arm wrestling about this quite a little bit. And Brent, I'm looking at 91 million acres of corn, 91 million acres of soybeans. And I want you to share what you said initially, and then and then we'll follow. We're gonna, we're gonna try to replicate well, this conversation, but Brent knows what I'm gonna say, so he's gonna hedge his bet here. <laughs> right. So so basically, uh, I, I looked at the questions David wrote. And I said, well, I think very good chance we go over 91 million acres of corn, you know, 75 percent or something. And if I were forced to bet on soybeans, I would think 91 million acres is probably a 50 or so percent chance we hit there. And then you start to think about it and go, well, wait a second, where are we, you know, I know what David's going to say is, well, where are you going to get all these acres? Because, you know, the last few years, 180 million is kind of where we top out. My answer is, I don't know. There's going to be a lot less prevented plant probably. I think people really work to get it in. And then who knows what other crops are going to shrink. I mean, that's that's some of the math that we need to like work on to really get a better understanding of what's even possible. Because there's going to be a lot of incentive to plant acres this year. That's, you know, this is where we want to leave you, the listeners, thinking about is the calculus has changed a little bit and we might move these up a little bit, but it's... Interesting marketing. So there's a lot of conversation about corn versus soybeans. And we think the most relevant conversation is what about both of them? How are you going to pull off the both story? And so we planted 91 million acres of corn this year and we shrunk stocks, right? And so you got to think about that in context as well. If we're going to get a lot of corn, a lot of soybeans, excuse me, the market's saying more soybeans, where are we going to get those? So prevent plant you kind of got to think it's going to go back to a uh, normal, which that's an entire blog post of its own. Right. Normal is a very funny word with prevent plant, but then how do you start to get over that 180 million sort of ceiling that we had been at? And we will do it. Economic incentives will get us there eventually, but it's sort of an interesting debate for 2021 in the short run. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And I'm, that's why I'm really looking forward to kind of digging into some of those numbers and seeing where, where that might go. Because right now I would say that we probably need 91 in, in probably each of those buckets and some decent yields to go along with it, don't you think? And Like 91 and a half in each of yeah, those yeah. yields. So it's going to, it's going to be interesting, which is why there's a lot of optimism around prices, you know, as you, as you might expect. It'll be really interesting the next few months. All right. Thanks so much. We'll catch you all next week. Stay curious. Thanks.